Our second reading is Psalm 10. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In his arrogance, the wicked man hunts down the weak who are caught in the schemes of his devices. He boasts about the cravings of his heart. He blesses the greedy and reviles the Lord. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. His ways are always prosperous. Your laws are rejected by him. He sneers at all his enemies. He says to himself, nothing will ever shake me. He swears, no one will ever do me harm. His mouth is full of lies and threats. Trouble and evil are under his tongue. He lies in wait near the villages. From ambush, he murders the innocent. His eyes watch in secret for his victims. Like a lion in cover, he lies in wait. He lies in wait to catch the helpless. He catches the helpless and drags them off in his net. His victims are crushed. They collapse. They fall under his strength. He says to himself, God will never notice. He covers his face and never sees. Arise, Lord, lift up your hand, O God. Do not forget the helpless. Why does the wicked man revile God? Why does he say to himself, he won't call me to account? But you, God, see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief and take it in hand. The victims commit themselves to you. You are the helpless helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked man. Call the evildoer to account for his wickedness that would not otherwise be found out. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations will perish from his land. You, Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed so that mere earthly mortals will never again strike terror. Thanks, Sue and Helena, for that. That was great. Uh, it's always great to be at the 10 a.m. service opening God's Word. Um, it'll be super helpful if you guys can have your Bibles open uh, with me to Psalm chapter 10. If not, it will be up on the screen. I'm certain I have 100% faith in Alan up the back. The Psalms, and particularly this Psalm today, um, are really great at expressing and helping us deal with human emotion. That is real feelings. Sometimes we can get lost in those emotions and those feelings. I'm a 22-year-old male, so I know nothing about emotions. Um, but the Psalms are really great at helping us discover them uh, and helping us deal with them. And our Psalm today gives us a clear picture of how to experience or deal with um, a very particular question and a very particular experience that the Psalmist is dealing with. It's a rather unanswerable question of life suffering and faith. In Psalm 10, the writer, we presume David, uh, continues on from Psalm 9, where we looked at last week the certainty of God, what he's done in the past, what he will do in the future, and how he's worthy of praise and glory 
And the writer seems so sure of God in Psalm 9. And then we get to Psalm 10, and it's almost difficult to match these two people as the same person. But it kind of makes sense because the psalmist looks at the world around him and he asks the question, where is God in this? Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Why does it feel, God, like you aren't here? I was this week doing some research on um, the terribleness of our world um, in preparation for this, uh, and the thing that kind of jumped out at me, I was looking for some stats. Nine million people die each year of hunger. Nine million people. This year alone, since the start of 2021, that's 500,000 people. 2.1 million people have died of the coronavirus since it started at the beginning of last year. And in that time, over 9 million people have died of hunger. And yet we don't think about that. This question of looking at the world and thinking, God, why do you stand far off? Where are you when things are difficult? Is a fundamental question which resonates with all of humanity. Because at times, we feel like God isn't here. Verse 1 asks this question. Verses 2 to 11 show us why he's asking the question in the first place. And verses 12 through 15, uh, the psalmist pleads with God to do something about it. And then at the end, he finishes by falling back on what he knows to be true of God. And for us this morning, we're going to focus in on what the psalmist sees in the world around him. What is it that he sees that causes him to ask this question? What is his response? Uh, and then we're going to think, is it even okay to ask this question in the first place? But before we get into all of that, please join with me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you have uh, given us knowledge of you through your word that we would otherwise have no hope of knowing. Um, that the secrets of the universe are contained within this book of your word. Please help it to rest heavy on our hearts this morning, uh, to change our minds for you so that we might live lives that reflect and bring praise to your glory. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Why, Lord, do you feel so far away? Why does it feel like things, when things aren't going right, you are distant from me? Why does sometimes it feel like God can't see what's going on in my life? I hope that this is something that you have felt at some point. But the question I want to ask you is what happens in your life to make you question the presence of God? For the psalmist today, for the writer of this psalm, it is the life of those who live as if God does not exist that causes him to ask this question of God. Where are you in this world because of what these people are doing? In verses 2 to 7, we get a very candid and a very clear picture, a look at a person living their life apart from God. It's a glimpse into a world without him. This is what the psalmist is observing. Look with me. This is verses 2 through 7. In his arrogance... The wicked man hunts down the weak who are caught in the schemes he devises. He boasts 
about the cravings of his heart. He blesses the greedy and reviles the Lord. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. His ways are always prosperous. Your laws are rejected by him. He sneers at all his enemies. He says to himself, nothing will ever shake me. He swears, no one will ever do me harm. His mouth is full of lies and threats. Trouble and evil are under his tongue. What we have here is a really clear description of a functional atheist. That is someone that lives their life apart from God, or at least believing that they are apart from God. We know that to not be true. But what is this person like? Well, it says here that they are arrogant. In the pursuit of their own ends, it doesn't matter who gets caught up in their schemes. They are boastful. They chase the cravings of their heart. They revile the Lord. They are prideful. They don't seek God. In their life, there is no room for God. Their thoughts are so busy with this world that there's no room left for God. And they are prosperous. They reject God's law. And yet in spite of that rejection, it seems like all the plans they make and all the things they want to do succeed. Everything seems to go well for them. With confidence, because of that success, they disregard those who oppose them. And they can say to themselves with confidence, nothing will ever shake me, no one will ever do me harm. Because in their experience, they are prospering. They are deceitful. They are comfortable with lies and threats come naturally. This picture that the psalmist is painting depicts how a person would act if they had zero obligation to do good. Now, we know, of course, that atheists don't live their lives going around this way, right? When we look at the world around us, we don't see people living completely like this. People who don't live life with God still have the capacity to do good, but what the psalmist is getting at here and what I want to put towards you guys is that apart from God, there is no logical foundation for that action. The psalmist is lamenting the nature of this wicked person. And I think it lends itself, I think what lends itself towards God feeling the most distant out of that list of things that the wicked person is comes in verse 5. The wicked appear to prosper. They don't play by the same rules. And so it seems like they succeed. Like everything goes right for them. I was chatting through this with Rick this week and he said, it's like whoever cheats wins. Anybody ever heard of the very infamous cricket match between Australia and New Zealand where Australia, in order to stop New Zealand from winning, uh, extorted a technicality in the rules which said they technically weren't stopped from just rolling the ball down the middle of the pitch. Essentially, we cheated. Whoever cheats wins. The wicked appear to prosper. In verses 8 to 11, the psalmist continues on, and we see what this wickedness leads to. We see the result, the 
way that this wicked person treats other people because with no necessary motivation to do what is good or to do what is right, why shouldn't the wicked person trample those in his path? What use is it to care for the afflicted when in order to get what I want, I can just walk right over somebody else? Look with me at verse 8. He lies in wait near the villages. From ambush he murders the innocent. His eyes watch in secret for his victims. Like a lion in cover, he lies in wait. He lies in wait to catch the helpless. He catches the helpless and drags them off in his net. His victims are crushed. They collapse. They fall under his strength. He says to himself, God will never notice. He covers his face and never sees. In the path of the wicked, the weak have no hope. And thus our psalmist observes two things that make it seem like God isn't there. If I was to summarize the two things that I see that the psalmist is experiencing that make him question God, it's the success of the wicked offends him on a personal level. He sees their success and he says, God, how is that possible when they are prideful, boastful, deceitful, and wicked? And the second thing is that his heart breaks for the plight of the weak, for the oppressed. Where is God when the wicked triumph and the afflicted are left on the side? Why does God seem distant? To be honest, after that description, I kind of agree with the psalmist, right? It's a reasonable question to be asking at this point. Anyone who turns on the news or looks at the world should make it to this question at some point. Christian or not, like I said at the start, 9 million people die of hunger each year. We only have about 27 million people in Australia. That's a lot. In fact, I can't even really fathom how many people that is. And even the wicked man depicted in this psalm acknowledges the truth of this question in his own wicked way. Because in verse 11, the wicked man says, God will never notice. He covers his face and never sees. The wicked person is saying, if God is real, where is he? Why is the wicked person prospering? The wicked person knows they're succeeding. But in the midst of pain and suffering, it is hard to see God. So what is the appropriate response to this question? The psalmist is feeling this way. What is the response? He sees the pain of the world and he cries out to God. Look with me at verse 12. Arise, Lord. Lift up your hand, O God. Do not forget the helpless. Why does the wicked man revile God? Why does he say to himself, he won't call me to account? But you, God, see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief and take it in hand. The victims commit themselves to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked man. Call the evildoer to account for his wickedness that would not otherwise be found out. In other words, God, please help. How can the wicked man say they won't be called to account? Because the psalmist here knows that God sees the trouble of the afflicted. 
the writer moves between asserting God's status and asking God to intervene in the terribleness of the situation. God, I know that you are this, and so therefore, please do this. When the writer of this psalm faces the question of why does God feel distant, he doesn't just leave it at asking the question. He doesn't just say, the world sucks, oh well. Rather, he takes that question and he puts it to God. Because fundamentally, this psalm is a prayer. It's not addressed to me. It's not addressed to you. It's addressed to God. Arise, Lord. Lift up your hand, O God. When God feels distant, when the suffering of the world makes you question Don't hide the doubt away in your heart, but bring it to the Lord. In my work with the youth here at church, we say this all the time. If you have questions, ask them. Don't keep them bottled up inside. The worst thing you can do with a question is not seek an answer. It seems counterintuitive, though, to bring confusion to God. Sometimes we can feel as Christians that we need to have everything all together before we can approach this glorious saviour. But a few weeks ago, Isaac talked to us of how God is so great that praise from the weak is still glorifying. His power and his glory is made perfect in our weakness. It's okay to admit that we're not strong. This psalm shows us that when we admit that weakness and lay our cry at his feet, we can rest on what we know to be true of him and what he promises for the future. For the writer, it's a prayer that I believe finishes not actually resolving. And I think it's all the more beautiful and helpful for us because of that. Because when you read of a prayer prayed and then answered straight away, it distances you from that situation because you think, what about my prayers? This isn't me anymore. God, you feel distant. The wicked prosper at the expense of the weak. Please do something. Verses 16 through 18. After that plea, he rests on this knowledge. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations will perish from his land. You, Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them. And you listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed, so that mere earthly mortals will never again strike terror. He asserts that the Lord is king. He is greater than the nations. He doesn't ignore the afflicted, and he knows that earthly mortals are nothing in comparison to God's greatness. How awesome. That in spite of doubt, the psalmist can rest on this. But what about us? What can we learn from the plight of this writer? Well, there are a few striking differences between this response, the response of the writer of this psalm, presumably David, and the response that we see in most of the world. The response that we see in most of the world to this question, where is God in this pain, in this suffering, is different to what we see here. Because for some people, the question of God's presence in suffering is what we would call a faith blocker, 
right? I'm sure you've heard this before. The world is broken and the world is evil, and so therefore God cannot exist. God cannot exist because of suffering. But for the psalmist and for all Christians, we turn this on its head and we say there is suffering in the world and the world is broken, therefore we need God. And so that's what the psalmist does. When he feels this distance from God, he doesn't hide from him. Rather, he turns toward him because the cry of faith cries to God. In fact, it's a part of the description that we get of a wicked person that they live their life like God doesn't exist. So if you have this question and you're so focused on your own thoughts that you never bring it to God, are you not putting yourself in the shoes of the wicked person in having your thoughts so full that there's no room for God? Because Brothers and sisters, doubt is good. Questions are good. We just need to, like the psalmist, ensure that we seek answers from the right place and that we bring those questions to the right person. And that's God. The second thing um, that I think we can learn from this psalmist is what it is that draws his heart to this question. What draws the psalmist's heart to question the presence of God is not necessarily his own suffering. It's not just his own experience of the wickedness of this world in isolation. But rather he sees the effect upon the weak and his heart breaks. Our hearts should break for the innocent, the victims, the helpless, the crushed, the afflicted. We should cry out to God on their behalf. I was a bit convicted this week how much of my prayer time is taken up with me. And yes, it's good to bring our own troubles before God, but as we see here, we also need to pray for others. Pray for those who need God's help. Finally, there is a warning contained within this psalm that's quite ominous really, and that is the description given of a wicked person. As I've mentioned a few times, it's a good description of what it is to live life apart from God, what it is to live as if he doesn't exist. And what scares me about this description is how similar, in a lot of ways, it is to my own struggles, and I'm sure to all of you as well. Because the wicked man is arrogant, boastful, prideful and prosperous. You could say self-sufficient, self-contained, self-reliant. A lot of words we like to keep running around when we describe our own lives. How often do we follow the cravings of our own hearts? Sure, you probably can look at this and think, well, I don't lie in wait to catch the helpless. I don't uh, hide in the grass and jump and grab people in a net. Uh, If if that description does fit you, uh, I'd love to have a chat with you after the service, uh, and I might call Jeff Goldsmith. Um, But brothers and sisters, in letting our hearts be broken by the brokenness of the world, we need to not become the wicked person. Don't be a professing Christian 
and a functional atheist. Now, I'm going to just allow the Spirit to convict you as necessary on the rest of that. In your own personal Bible reading this week, I would encourage you to read through Psalm 10 again and read through that description of a wicked person and let it resonate through your life. Think to yourself, do I have a problem with pride? Do I have a problem with anger? Do I have a problem with arrogance? Do lies and threats come easily to my mind? Am I so caught up in making sure that I can provide for myself that I don't actually think I need God? And the reason I'm going to let you guys do that in your own time is because I want to finish today's sermon where the psalmist finishes. And that's with faith. Because in life, hardship is a certainty. If it's not, then beware that you're prospering in all things like the wicked man. We are promised that the life of a Christian especially is to be sanctified. And that's a big scary word that essentially means set apart. And in that, in being set apart for Christ, the wickedness of some in our world should break our hearts. And not just break it for our own struggles and our own strife, but we should see the effect of the wickedness on other people and be broken by that. And in that pain, cry out to God. In all things, in fact, cry out to God. Not just suffering, but praise as well. We've been going through that in the Psalms over the last couple of weeks. And when things are uncertain, when it feels like God is distant, let's be people that do what this psalmist does and have faith. Because the Lord is king forever and ever. That doesn't change. He hears the desires of those who are afflicted. That doesn't change. He encourages them, listens to them. He defends the fatherless and the oppressed. So mere earthly mortals, humans, the guy down the street, will never be able to strike terror in the face of such glory. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you are king forever and ever. Thank you that you hear the desires of the afflicted, you encourage them, you listen to them, you defend the fatherless and the oppressed. And thank you that in the face of you, mere earthly mortals will never be able to strike terror. Dear Lord, please help us to know this, to meditate on it day and night, who it is that you are and what it is that you've done so that we might have faith in the face of doubt. Please help us when we have questions to bring them to you and to seek answers to them. Let our hearts break for the plight of the weak, for the plight of the afflicted, so that we might see this world be a little less wicked in the face of your glory. In your son's name we pray. Amen.